This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. We have a potpourri of topics this week. We're going to start out real serious. Doesn't get much more serious than this. We're going to talk about dying. Then we will lighten things up. And I have a very funny story that I'm going to share with you. And finally, we'll end on a, on a somewhat serious point, not quite as serious as dying, but a very serious thought piece that I want to play for you all in the think tank this week. And before I get into this, I do want to plug uh, where you can see some of these episodes. I usually forget to do that, so I wanted to do that up top. At KTAR.com, there is a line right across the says podcast, and you can uh, listen to, you'll see the then a list of several shows where second row, you click on the show and you can see a list of all of our recent episodes. If you want to go back and see some other ones that are sorted by topic, that's on my website, mikeoneal.org. And in case you're, you're listening to this right now on one or the other, but this show, as are all of our shows are broadcast twice, once on Saturday at between three and four and once on Sunday between nine and 10 PM. Topic number one, first half of the show, uh, is death. Our de- our uh, guest is Dwight Moore. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Dr. Moore is a retired industrial psychologist. He helped pass the California Death with, with Dignity Act in 2015. He's volunteered with the Watson's End of Life Options for seven years and now chair- chairs Arizona's End of Life Options Group. He's helped over 50 patients navigate Washington's medical aid and dying law, sitting at their bedside while they died. Uh, pretty basic question to you. What, is me- what does medical aid in dying actually mean? Medical aid in dying is one of the choices we can make at the end of our life. To be eligible for it, it means you need to have a six-month terminal diagnosis. You need to be of sound mind. That means be able to make critical decisions about your own medical care. And you have to have two physicians attest to both of those facts. If you are eligible, then what you can do is have a prescription written for you that you can take. And it's a pharmaceutical that allows you to die with dignity. Now, is the state of affairs in Arizona, is that currently legal in Arizona? It's not legal in Arizona. It's legal. So what, if somebody is facing that situation in Arizona, what are their options? Um, depends on their disease. The main option that people choose is stop voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. They're at a stage in their life where they probably don't want to eat very much and drink anymore. And so they went make a decision, inform their family and their caregivers about that decision and stop eating and drinking. Now, my sense, and I remember this because I, w- I went through this with aging parents, that, though, that particularly the absence of hydration can be a very painful experience, can it? It's a very uncomfortable, um, yes, at least for the first two days. There are ways to mitigate that um, in terms of managing both uh, pain and anxiety, uh, suppositories, sublingual medication that can keep you somewhat comfortable. Um, also, we keep lips dry and things like that through bombs and salves. Uh, but yes, the first two days of stopping and drinking are quite uncomfortable. 
particular, well, if you've ever been really thirsty, I suppose you have a, a, a tiny partial inkling into that. Correct. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is here in the state of Arizona, um, you can end your life. But the only option available is long drought and uncomfortable. Well, there is another uh, institutional base called palliative sedation, which is in, again, family and medical team consultation. Team sort of says, you know, well, Mike isn't going to live more than about three or four days, so let's make him comfortable. And that literally is pharmaceutically put him into a coma so he's not aware of the disease, final days of the disease. And then the disease itself kills the patient. Um, that's, uh, frankly, a, a better way to go than stopping eating and drinking because you are not aware of your circumstances. Now, I, I, I'm wondering if I had a sense that it, with that option, that there's a, a little bit of winking going on. Uh, I remember when my mother went into hospice at home. Uh, they gave us uh, all sorts of uh, sedation type drugs and made a point of telling us that, you know, nobody's keeping track of these and this is the prescription amount. But uh, if she's in pain, you can manage the pain and basically give her as much as you want. Um, I, I had a sense they were basically trying to stay within the law and they're careful about their language, but they were. It, it sure felt like there was a little bit of uh, kind of uh, uh, an intimation that uh, basically right. you could give your loved one a peaceful end. Yeah, I think most uh, most hospices and hospitals will make a very clear distinction. Hospice is not in the business of killing patients or having them in their life. They are in the business of keeping them comfortable until the disease state takes their life. Um, palliative sedation is the same theory is that they're not actually killing or overdosing patients. They're keeping them comfortable again until they die naturally. Um, most, most of those professionals might keep that are honorable, I think, in my experience about keeping those missions clear. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, I experienced two different kinds of hospice can be in a hospital, can also be at home. Is that correct? Exactly right. I think about 90% of hospice care is actually home-based, not mm -hmm. institutional-based. Yeah, let me go back a minute. to There's nine states in the District of Columbia who have this law, so that about 70 million people in the United States are represented by this law, so they have the choice to do this. If, if you don't want to make the choice, you don't have to, obviously. You can let the natural uh, disease, whether it be lung cancer or ALS take its natural course. Um, but for those states um, in Washington where I volunteer uh, six months a year, it's a, it's a really a wonderful choice for people to make to plan their deaths so that they don't have to go through those last number of X weeks or months of pain and anxiety. But um, the fact that it's only in a third of the states, uh, the states represent a third or quarter of the population, suggests to me that you're getting a lot of resistance to this. What's, what's that based on? Yeah, the main resistance is a, a theological resistance, is that this is not God's will, is the kind of the direct quote, and um, that it's uh, therefore inappropriate. 
that we should leave these kinds of major life decisions up to the will of a deity. Um, I have a, I have respect for that position. I, if those folks believe that and don't want to use a law like this, good. That's That should be their choice. The distinction I would make is that please don't impose your belief about that on me. I, can, I may make a different kind of choice. Um, trying to think of other, uh, other major objections. Um, I would say that's the, that's the primary one. There, there are obvious concerns that are legitimate about is this being equitably uh, distributed across the population, for example, are people being coerced into this because uh, somebody wants their estate? Why, 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 why don't we break it right there? When we return okay. in just a minute, we'll talk about what some of the safeguards are to deal with some of those objections. Uh, we're here with Dr. Dwight Moore, and we're talking about uh, basically what I think is, is usually referred to as right to die. Uh, when we return in just a moment in the think tank. Wake the nation Come The new Jerusalem The Think Tank KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com back and our guest is Dr. Dwight Moore. He's a retired industrial psychologist and he's been, been involved in uh, uh, what is frequently referred to as right to die. Uh, we were talking about some of the things that, that are issues that are involved in this. Talk to me about the safeguards. How do you safeguard against somebody being uh, coerced or pressured into ending their own life? Yeah. Good question, Mike. Um, a number of safeguards. Um, first of all, there's a 15-day waiting period between the first request made for this medication and the actual actual dispensation by a pharma pharmacy. And that waiting period is built in so that people can consider the issues, so that two physicians can uh, interview the patient and be sure that there's a terminal diagnosis and that they're of sound mind and that two witnesses can attest to the fact, and this has to be done in writing, uh, that there is no coercion involved and the patient is of sound mind. If one of the physicians has a concern about that, they refer that patient to somebody like me, a PhD-level psychologist, to do an assessment of their mental capacity to make medical decisions. Mm. And so it, we would then interview the patient and give a recommendation to the physician about that criteria. So the 15-day is a way of dealing with the issue of somebody who's dealing with a momentary issue of uh, depression, for example. Exactly uh, right. That, yeah. you're, you, that you want to be sure that somebody has not only made up their mind, but that that is consistent. That's exactly right. And then there's a final check and balance on this. Um, I volunteer to help people take the medication, and at the at the actual deathbed, I've mixed the medication, and they are ready to swallow it. We are required by law to ask two questions. One is, have you been coerced into doing this? And they have to answer in the negative, obviously. No, I've not. And the other we ask is, do you understand what will happen when you take this medication? And they have to be capable of articulating the correct answer. 
if they're not able to do either of those things, we literally withdraw the medication at that point. Okay. Now, what if a family member is against doing this? What, what role does that play? Um, it's an important piece uh, that we facilitate the family to talk that through, to be sure that we understand the reasons. We want that family member to be heard and understood. Bottom line is it's the patient's decision finally and exclusively. But from a family dynamic standpoint, we want that person to feel fully included and understood. I want to insert a, a personal observation about my own parents, both of whom uh, we lost in the last six or seven years. And there was one common thread I observed, and that was, uh, I suspect it's common, but I'd be interested in your take on it. Uh, and that is that the patient comes to a realization that it's over usually well before the family does. It's usually not family coercing you to, you know, pull the plug, but just the opposite. That's an astute observation on your part. It, uh, I don't have a percentage of time that that's true, but it's quite frequent that that's absolutely true. The, the simple way to know that is most people who have gone through that are aware that the patient, him or herself, isn't really interested in eating or drinking toward in the last week or two of their life. They have no interest in that at all. Family members want to feed them. But that's one of the indications of what you're talking about is that the body realizes that it's done, the person realizes, and they want to be quiet. The other indicator is that they really don't want crowds around them very much. They want to have very few people, maybe one visitor at a time, um, and they really want that whole process to quiet down. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember having this conversation with my mom, and you know, she said, "Was somebody going to take me to Oregon?" And, and and she was quite lucid about the whole thing. She said, "I would like to live. I would like to see my grandchildren grow up and finish college and get married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." But I realized that I have a terminal disease from which there is no escape. And I am looking forward to nothing other than a couple of weeks of pain here. And, and, uh, and, and, and she, here's somebody who'd gone through a number of medical steps on the way and just said, you know, I'm smart. I realize, I realize what's going on here and, and it's not, and, and it's over, even though I would prefer that it not be over. Yeah, uh, one of the observations that we also have about this, Mike, is that when a patient who is eligible gets the medication and it's actually sitting in their home, they relax a great deal about the process of dying because they know that they won't have to experience an agonizing death. They know that when they choose to plan that particular death, they can drink that medication and uh, peacefully and quietly and honorably pass. And that makes a big difference in people's quality of life in those last, uh, as I said, weeks or days. Yeah. I remember with my dad, it was, uh, it was kind of just the opposite. He said he thought he wanted food uh, and we weren't giving it to him because they were afraid if he would aspirate and that it would, it would, it would cause him to choke to death. Right. And when he went into hospice, they gave him food. He, he probably didn't need a teaspoonful. But but he appreciated I think he appreciated the fact that he had control again. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got about half a minute. I'll give it to you for parting thoughts. Yeah, thanks. This is a, the medical aid in dying process is a choice. 
not something that anyone imposed on anybody else. It's a patient's rights bill that we're proposing here in the state of Arizona. It's not about partisanship or about uh, medical versus civilian life. It's about patients' right to choose for themselves a dignified death. And do you have a contact information for anybody who'd like to get involved in? Yes, we have a website, azendoflifeoptions.org. Or people okay. can call me if they'd like, 360-223-4958. Thank you very much, Dr. Dwight Moore. When we return in just a moment in the think tank, I'll lighten things up. I have a funny story I want to share with you. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Welcome back to the show. As I indicated before the break, uh, I have a story for you in this uh, segment, and the story has some uh, morals to it. It is a story of resourcefulness. It also happens to be one of those things that just... In retrospect, very, very funny. Uh, a guest here is going to tell much of the story. His name is Janny Deng. If you are a longtime listener to the show, you'll recognize Janny as someone who's been on the short show before, but in a different capacity. Janny is a former refugee, one-time lost boy of Sudan, who's all grown up now, who's middle-aged. He's a professional social worker working in town here, and he's also a friend. And uh, Janny and I um, have made many a trip to Rocky Point that is, uh, I think, both of our favorite place in the whole world to relax and kick back and uh, enjoy the ocean. And uh, he brought a friend with him. Uh, his name is Manana. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And basically, the other thing you should know about the, the context of this story is it's early on in the COVID uh, period. And but we're all isolating ourselves anyway. And uh, we're going down there all together. We're keeping to ourselves. We're, we're cooking our own food. We're staying in a condo by the beach, but we're wearing masks when we're out. And mostly we're out on the beach by ourselves, keeping to ourselves and neither infecting nor being infected. So it's not all that different from staying home. Manana, however, is is an African name or approximation of Manana. The 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 uh, interesting thing about it is that in Spanish, Manana, of course, means tomorrow. And we did have this incident where Janie's trying to order food for himself and Manana, and the guy that's taking the order is getting confused because well, you want this you want this for today, and then well, I want to order something for Manana. And he said, okay, what time tomorrow do you want? He said, no, I want, I want it for manana now. And it was one of those who's on first moments we just couldn't get by. Anyway, uh, make a long story short on the, setting up the whole story here. Um, Janny and Manana have to get back to Phoenix earlier than I do, and there is a shuttle service called the Burrito Express that'll pick you up in your condo in Rocky Point and take you all the way home to Phoenix. It's a makes it very, very easy to go there. But because of COVID, after multiple tries and basically people not answering uh, uh, the phone, we find out that it, you want to take the Burrito Express, you got to get yourself to the border which is about an hour from Rocky Point. 
And uh, once there, you can pick up the Burrito Express and the rest of it is all going. At that point, I'll turn this story over to you. you got to get yourself, first of all, to the border. We'll talk about how you do that. And, uh, folks, when you listen to this, listen for the, the multiple obstacles that got overcome along the way. Yes, yeah, so... <laughs> So thank you for having me, Mike. So the story goes like this. So it's like, you know, you, you, sometime in life, you have, which is at this case for me, that was not new to me because I went through from my journey, I went through a lot of obstacles and worse stuff than this. That's right. But this would have, this would have, uh, you know, for, for people less resourceful, this Absolutely. would multiple killer things. So what happened? You're yes. gonna, you're gonna get, you're gonna get to the border house. So we decided first, we thought maybe you can give us a ride to Sonida, and then we said, ah, that's a long drive for Mike. And then secondly. We have a guy, our friend, he's a tank driver in town. And uh, we, it, it, after the Brudo Express, it's no longer an option anymore. So we return to the next option, the, the plan B. We get a taxi ride to the border. Yeah, to drive to the border, and then we'll find uh, the Brudo Express from there. And then we, we will make our way, easy. So far seems easy. Right? Well, a little thing we know, we, uh, Get to the COVID checkpoint. That's make this. At this point, there, there's a checkpoint to get That's in right. and out of town. Rocky Point at that point is sealed off. It's you sealed don't That's you right. don't come or leave without going through a medical checkpoint. That's right. So we get to the checkpoint with our tank driver. Everything's ready to go. Well, uh, uh, the tank driver they stop him on the checkpoint. They said, "Where are you going?" He said, "I'm taking two of my friend to Sonoida." They said, well, this is what's going to happen. You go, you're not coming back. Literally, th this is... Uh, Even though he lives in Rocky Point. That's right. They're not going to let him back in that's his right. own town. Even though you're citizen, so we try to prevent people coming in and out. So, so we're like, well, what, did, uh, what are we going to do? Since our time driver is not a go-through. Well, now at this point, we're talking to the, to the federality, the police station there, the... At the medical. At the medical. Yeah, they're they're not they're not screwing around there. No. This is a medical checkpoint, but they there's federales, which is basically a cross between police and military. That's right. They get up with all the. They look gear. military. That's right. So anything they you know they will they don't mess around at this point. So we decided well now uh, the next option will be so no burrito express, right. no taxi drive. That's right. Okay. And now we are on this checkpoint. The second thing is to call Mike to come and pick us up. Or the taxi driver take us back to the condo to stay there. But we got I gotta get home because <laughs> I have to work the next day. You know, so we decided. Well, what about if we hit China? And as we were talking to the, you know, to the, you know, to the authority about letting uh, our taxi driver go text us. Here, this American uh, guy, he's going making round trips to go to Sonoida. To, to go pick up his furniture and then come back. Sonoida right? is the border town. Right. If you're in Sonoida, you're at the border. Exactly. So he leaves some of his furniture there. So here, you know, we ask him, can you give us a ride just to get to Sonoida and then we can get the ex uh, the the, ex uh, the burrito express from there. So. We just need to get to Sonoida. So you get a guy to give you, you you're That's meeting right. at the, he's at the checkpoint, yep. medical checkpoint, run into a guy. Here's option number three. God takes you to the border. That's right. Okay, now you're at the border. Now, he, what we didn't know, 
experts they said that will be on the U.S. side. Meet the experts, a brilliant experts on U.S. side. Little we know, it's actually we have to, we're supposed to meet the uh, uh, the Barbados Express on the Mexican side. The guy was supposed to drop us, but we didn't know this. So now the, the guy took us all the way to across the border. Now we're on the U.S. side. So we're on the U.S. side. We we called them again. At this point, we have the gas station, Texaco station right there. Calling Burrito Express. Calling Express. Now they're telling us, oh, no, 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 no. Who are telling you guys that was completely lie? You're going to come back to the Mexican side to get that the, the Burrito Express because you're going to go through the COVID test. You're going to wear the mask. You're going to go through all of it. The, they're going to okay. spray you with the COVID stuff. So we're like, well, we cannot go back there. We cannot just go. So meanwhile, we're doing this. We try to figure out. My buddy, take the turn. He's in the. He's. In You're the, standing there. Yes. Talk to the, <laughs> and your buddy Manana. That's right. From the American side, walks up to the wall. That's right. Now there's about I don't know how many, but there's a whole boatload of border guards there. Absolutely, and they are. They look at us. From, they have uh, the cameras, camera all over that wall. You have uh, the, the, you know, but literally they're watching this whole thing. You know. So next thing you know, you guys are facing like a dozen border guards. That's right. Here we are. Here, there are five bodyguards are coming at me. Five bodyguards coming at Manana <laughs> on the wall. Manana, he's a my he's, friend. And he's taking pictures of the wall, which really sets the border guards up. What That's are you doing? Right. What are you right. doing? <laughs> That's right. You had a great explanation, though. Right. But so the explanation was we, uh, uh, we tried to get to Phoenix. <laughs> But on top of that, uh, uh, Manana, he's a tourist, came from Washington, D.C. He heard all about the wall, Trump wall, all the time. This is this a is big deal. So I'm, I'm right. sitting here at the wall that I've heard about. That's I've right. never seen it, so I'm going to take pictures. That's right. <laughs> so, and you're explaining this to the border guard. Right. So he's a tourist, you know. So now the next thing you know, they, you know, they're asking our paper. What are you guys doing? They're asking all this. I said, you know, what we are doing, maybe we should not be concerned about the war so much. I have to get to work tomorrow, so I'm trying to get back to Phoenix. Matter of fact, if you guys were mine, if you guys can give us a ride to Aho, which is, we can take the bus from Aho to Phoenix. Notice the brilliance of this. We've gone in about a minute and a half from who are these suspicious guys taking pictures of the wall, something's funny here, to can you give us a ride? And they're, and they're ready to do it. And except their supervisor said no. That's right. They would, so they're, you've befriended these guys by this point, and they're taking pictures of you and the border guards all at the wall. That's right. Now which, if I, can, if I can get it, I'll use as the publicity for this show. Send me one of those pictures. Yes, absolutely. So now, we, uh, now we've come. Uh, now this, all, this whole thing always turned on. And by the way, that I, this, I left this part out. Here we were, two black skinny boys on the border. Uh, they look. We look for judges already. We look really different, you know. So, and this is the week. This happened the week before Joy Foy stuff. So here we talking to them. Uh, I said, "Here we go." So I said this out loud to them, and they started like turning red. I said, "Here you go. Two black guys 
One of them will take a look, the picture of the wall. <laughs> There's not threat into this. But now we have 10 uh, cops, 10 border patrol are asking us what we are doing. And this, you managed to pull off without ticking them off. They did back up a little bit. And as I said, a minute later, they're taking pictures with right. you and all the, all the rest. Right. So at this point, the supervisor says no ride. So you got to get yourself a ride, at least to Ajo. The reason Ajo is significant is there's a Maricopa County bus in Ajo that you could take. Right. Better to get all the way to Phoenix. Though. Right. So right then, so the, uh, the bodyguard, uh, uh, the bodyguard refused. So we're not taking, uh, we're not hitchhike on the gas station. And this young Mexican guy who have a truck just hauling furniture ended up taking us to all the way to 75th Avenue in Phoenix. Great story. Resourcefulness, no doubt learned in a refugee camp where it was a survival skill. However, will you think your day was bad? Uh, consider the number of things that went wrong with this. Border, border paranoia, the Trump wall not fitting in. And what? You, at least you get an interesting story out of this and you got home just fine. Yeah. Thanks very much, Jenny Dang. We'll be back in a moment with a final segment in the Think Tank. Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. In the aftermath of the recent attack on the United States Capitol, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is an Austrian immigrant who grew up in post-World War II Austria, recorded the following. I think it warrants uh, a listen. As an immigrant to this country, I would like to say a few words to my fellow Americans and to our friends around the world about the events of recent days. Now, I grew up in Austria. I'm very aware of Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass. It was a night of rampage against the Jews carried out in 1938 at the Nazi equivalent of the Proud Boys. Wednesday was the day of broken glass right here in the United States. The broken glass was in the windows of the United States Capitol. But the mob did not just shatter the windows of the Capitol. They shattered the ideals we took for granted. They did not just break down the doors of the building that housed the American democracy. They trampled the very principles on which our country was founded. Now, I grew up in the ruins of a country that suffered the loss of its democracy. I was born in 1947, two years after the Second World War. Growing up, I was surrounded by broken men drinking away their guilt over their participation in the most evil regime in history. Not all of them were rabid anti-Semites or Nazis. Many just went along, step by step, down the road. They were the people next door. I've never shared this so publicly because it is a painful memory. But my father would come home drunk once or twice a week, and he would scream and hit us and scare my mother. I did not hold him totally responsible because our neighbor was doing the same thing to his family, and so was the next neighbor over. I heard it with my own ears and saw it with my own eyes. They were in physical pain from the shrapnel in their bodies and in emotional pain from what they saw or did. 
it all started with lies and lies and lies and intolerance. So being from Europe, I've seen firsthand how things can spin out of control. I know there is a fear in this country and all over the world that something like this could happen right here. Now, I do not believe it is, but I do believe that we must be aware of the dire consequences of selfishness and cynicism. President Trump sought to overturn the results of an election and of a fair election. He saw the coup by misleading people with lies. My father and our neighbors were misled also with lies. And I know where such lies lead. President Trump is a failed leader. He will go down in history as the worst president ever. The good thing is that he soon will be as irrelevant as an old tweet. But what are we to make of those elected officials who have enabled his lies and his treachery? I will remind them of what Teddy Roosevelt said. Patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president. John F. Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles in Courage. A number of members of my own party, because of their own spinelessness, would never see their names in such a book, I guarantee you. They're complacent with those who carried the flag of self-righteous insurrection into the capital. But it did not work. Our democracy held firm. Within hours, the Senate and the House of Representatives were doing the people's business and certifying the election of President-elect Biden. What a great display of democracy. I grew up Catholic. I went to church, to Catholic school. I learned the Bible and my catechism and all this. And from those days, I remember a phrase that is relevant today, a servant's heart. It means serving something larger than yourself. See, what we need right now from our elected representatives is a public servant's heart. We need public servants that serve something larger than their own power or their own party. We need public servants who will serve higher ideals, the ideals in which this country was founded, the ideals that other countries took up to. Now, over the past few days, friends from all over the world have been calling and calling and calling me, calling me in distraught and worried about us as a nation. One woman was in tears about America, wonderful tears of idealism about what America should be. Those tears should remind us of what America means to the world. Now I've told everyone who has called that as heartbreaking as all of this is, America will come back from these dark days and shine our lights once again. Now you see this sword? This is the Conan sword. Now here's the thing about swords. The more you temper a sword, the stronger it becomes. The more you pound it with a hammer and then heat it in the fire and then thrust it into the cold water and then pound it again and plunge it into the fire and into the water, the more often you do that, the stronger it becomes. I'm not telling you all this because I want to become an expert sword maker, but our democracy is like the steel of this sword. The more it is tampered, the stronger it becomes. 
Our democracy has been tempered by wars, injustices, and insurrections. I believe, as shaken as we are by the events of recent days, we will come out stronger because we now understand what can be lost. We need reforms, of course, so that this never ever happens again. We need to hold accountable the people that brought us to this unforgivable point. And we need to look past ourselves, our parties and disagreements and put our democracy first. And we need to heal together from the drama of what has just happened. We need to heal, not as Republicans or as Democrats, but as Americans. Now to begin this process, no matter what your political affiliation is, I ask you to join me in saying to President-elect Biden, President-elect Biden, we wish you great success as our president. If you succeed, our nation succeeds. We support you with all our hearts as you seek to bring us together. And to those who think they can overturn the United States Constitution know this, you will never win. President-elect Biden, we stand with you today, tomorrow, and forever in defense of our democracy from those who would threaten it. May God bless all of you, and may God bless America. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about his experience growing up in the immediate aftermath of World War II in Austria. Words well worth considering. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank.